Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I, I got a word for you. How many love the Word of God? We're going to go in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read out of the message translation, and we'll have the verses on the screen as well. I'm preaching a one-week series, one-week message on relationships, God-prescribed relationships. We're going to call it over-the-counter, over-the-counter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, in the message translation, it says, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or his sister, Thinking nothing of it. He is a... You said it, I didn't. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. In the name of Jesus, amen. See you next Sunday. I mean, really, like, what, what, what more do we need to, to challenge us today? And, and, and as we talk about relationships, it says in 1 John that it's inseparable. That, that, that it's absolutely impossible for me to love God and not love his people. You know what I found to be true is that if you really love someone, a lot of times you begin to love what they love. If, if you truly love someone, you will at least act like you love. Anybody married in here? If, if you love someone, you, you at least act like you love what they love. You know, like, I would, I would love to. Of course. That's, that's what I've been waiting to do. Just got home from work. That's exactly what I want to do. I love doing that. This is, you know, you've got to get, if you're married, you've got, to get, you've got to get good at that. It says in 1 John that it is impossible to separate the two, that if we love God, then we have to love others. Let me just ask you this from the outset. How are you doing at loving others? How, how are you doing at, at, at love? You know, when we say loving others, this is what we immediately think. We immediately begin to think about the people that are unlovable. Oh, how are we, how are we reaching down to those who are underprivileged? How are we reaching out to those who need a hand up? I want to ask you this. How are you loving the people at your workplace? How are you, how are you loving the people that have a different political persuasion than you? How are you loving the people that don't agree doctrinally with you? How are you loving the people that don't agree theologically? I don't know if you saw that or not, but it, I looked at this and I didn't see any specification or any qualification for our love. It, it just said, like, love other people. Love other people as long as they're the right persuasion, denomination, color, theological persuasion, political persuasion. No. Just love. It says just love. It was, it was years ago, Jamie and I, and, and this is kind of where we get, where we get the title today uh, as we talk about this, uh, years ago, and uh, we were in youth ministry, and, and uh, we had just moved to the Dallas area, and uh, we had begun to make some friends, and, and uh, some of the friends uh, that we made, uh, we, we were walking them through different areas and different seasons of life, and, and uh, we went to a wedding, and uh, a bunch of us were there at this wedding, and, and uh, we're there celebrating, a lot of Christians, a lot of non-Christians, a lot of people we trust. A lot of people we didn't trust, and uh, it's, it's, it's a party, all right? And uh, so we're there, and, and uh, we, we uh, are loving on everybody, and our friends are there. And, and uh, throughout the course of the night, Jamie just begins to get sick. And um, this is before we had kids. She's getting really nauseous, so I'm like, yes. 
that I'm like hoping. And, and um, she's like, no, it's not that. Like I'm feeling, I'm feeling sick. And we were at the reception. She's like, I might have to like, I might have to leave. And I'm like, man, they've really wanted us to be here. Like you're gonna have to kind of tough it out. And she's like, I'm, I'm feeling really sick. And the lady that's sitting with us at the table, she overheard us and uh, she says, oh, oh hey, I've, I've, got, I've got a pill for nausea. And um, Jamie's like, oh, you are so sweet. That's amazing. I'm like, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about this. But her mom's a nurse, and she's got a lot of medical background. Her, her, her brother's a doctor. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just like, I need to back away. I need to leave this alone. She's like, I'm feeling sick. I, I think I'm going to take some. So we, we went back to the hotel. We kind of made it through the reception. She, she took this pill that, that the lady gave her. After a couple minutes, she said, man, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't feel good. I'm like, is the nausea better? She says, the nausea is gone. She says, but I'm so sleepy. And I'm like, okay. So she kind of like falls, tips into bed. And I'm like, all right. So I'm there reading, scrolling. So she's out. The Saturday night, mind you, next morning is Sunday morning. We're staying in Dallas. we got to be here in, in Allen for church. I wake up. I get ready. I'm prayed up, reading my Bible, praying, ready for service. She's just like, and I'm, so finally I like shake her to wake her up. Can't wake her up. I'm like, okay, this, 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 this is a problem. So finally, I'm starting to get worried. And uh, I'm checking her breathing. She's breathing. I'm shaking her. And, and finally, she kind of like comes to me. And she's like, I, I, can't keep my, I can't keep my eyes open. I'm like, are, are you sick? And she's like, I told you I was sick last night. I'm like, no, but what is wrong? This is, as God is my witness, she falls asleep again. I carry her, because I, I will not be late to church. I carry her out of the hotel to the car, set her in the car. This is like a bad movie. I set her in the, in the passenger seat, and she does this. Tips over, asleep. I'm like, so I don't know if I should go to the ER or to the church. I went to the church. I, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what I did. So I'm holding her up. I got her strapped in, and she's, just, she's out all the way from Dallas, sound asleep. I realized I cannot take her into the church this way because we don't have safety restraints in our seats. So I take her home, I dump her into bed, literally, she's asleep, and I come into church. I get home after church, she has slept all day. We find out, this is, you know, don't take pills from strangers. It's the only time she's been roofied, for real. She was roofied. She's out. So I find this, can I, can I just tell you, like if someone's passing pills around, don't just take them. Don't trust them. No over-the-counter garbage, all right? You need prescription for those things that you take. There's a reason why a prescription is issued. There's a reason why you have to be given that by the authority of a doctor. There's a reason. It's one of the scariest moments and now the funniest moments of, of our lives. Can I tell you this? That the relationships that God have for you, has for you should not be picked up carelessly. Not just romantic relationships, but any friendship and relationship that you have in your life should not be something that you handle carelessly or it could hurt you. It could put you to sleep. It could, it could be detrimental to your spiritual growth. I'm going to tell you this. God has relationships for you that he has prescribed. Which means God, the Bible even says this, that he is the master physician. And as the master physician, he prescribes you people 
to help you in your purpose. God prescribes you people to help you in your purpose because God knows what you were made to do. God knows what you were made to accomplish. And he knows that the only way you're going to get there is not just by you doing what you do. The way that you get to where God is taking you is by you being connected to the people that God has prescribed in our life. And my concern is that most of our relationships happen by default and not by decisions. That, that, that I just like stumbled into my best friend. I stumbled into a romantic relationship. I stumbled in. And we fail to use intellect in deciding about bringing people into our life because uh, they like us, I like them, we have the same interest, and so we should be friends. And I'm going to tell you this, that every relationship in your life either makes you better or makes you worse. There are not neutral relationships. There are not relationships that are just like, eh. It's either making you better or it's making you worse. It is taking you higher or it is taking you lower. It is making you think better about your marriage or it's making you think worse about your marriage. It is making you think better about your job or it's making you think worse about your job. Your relationships matter. I know we say it to the kids, but it matters to us. It matters who you hang out with. It matters who speaks to you. It matters who gives you advice. It matters what you talk about and who you talk about it with. It matters because it makes up the construct or the perspective of your life. You don't just wake up with a perspective. Your perspective is fed by the people that are in your life. It's, it, it's developed by the voices that you hear and the things that you read and what you watch. There is a construct. There is a perspective that is developed by what we take in. There's an old Sunday school song. Me and Jane were singing it the other day. Actually, I was singing it to her. But be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Why, why was this song ever even created? Because it matters what goes into us. If we think we just think independently of what we feed ourselves, we are kidding ourselves. We are a product of what we have sown by entertainment, by friendships, by relationship, by leisure into our life. The difference between medicine you can buy over the counter and medicine that is prescribed is usually the strength. I'm going to tell you this, God has relationships for you that are strong. That are, I'm, I'm telling you, God has relationships for you that will make you better. God has relationships, friendships that will come around you, that will stand beside you, that will encourage you to burn for Jesus, that will continue to be moral and to have character and to have integrity and to speak well of others and to build other people. Those relationships are what we need to build us up. Prescription actually means this, an instruction written by a medical practitioner that authorizes a patient to be provided a medicine or a treatment. I think God is the great physician. When he looks at us, he authorizes people to come into your life. People to walk into your life. I, I, when I'm thinking about over-the-counter relationships, I think there's a couple things, and this might help us define really the type of relationships that God wants us to have. If you don't know this or not, I don't know if you know this or not, but you need community. We say it, but it's one thing to say, it's another thing to live in it. It's one thing to teach, it's another thing to experience it. We need, we were created 
to need each other. You might be an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. I would rather sit in my house all by myself in the dark, and I would just feel amazing. That's, that's like, I would feel like, I would come out of the house feeling like, man, I love everybody. Some of you are like around people all the time, and then when you're around people, now you love everybody. See, when I'm around people all the time, it's the opposite. When I'm by myself all the time, I love people. I'm like, I can't wait to go hang out with somebody because I love people now. Everybody recharges different ways, but it doesn't change the need of the human soul for relationship. Over-the-counter relationships look like this. They look convenient. That's what over-the-counter medicine is. It's, it, it's convenient. It, it's like, hey, it's not bad enough to go to the doctor. Let's just run by CVS and grab. Over-the-counter relationships are convenient. Over-the-counter relationships are affordable. Uh, isn't that truth? It's like, man, I don't want to. I don't want to go to the doctor, pay my insurance, the copay, and, and I don't want to get a prescription. Let, let's just run by Walgreens and grab something cheap and see if it works. You ever said that before? Let's just see if we can handle it ourselves. But that's what over-the-counter relationships look like—a relationship that won't cost me much. That's what I'm looking for. Is just I'm looking for a friend that won't cost me much. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? Like a low-maintenance friend. Sounds amazing. Sounds incredible. I, 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 but that, that's, that's an over-the-counter relationship. Over-the-counter relationships look like this. They look temporary. What over-the-counter medicine is designed for is not for your consistent or permanent health. It's usually to fix a temporary problem. And for most of us, our relationships they're to fill a temporary need. I'm lonely, and all of a sudden you start hanging out with these guys at work that you shouldn't hang out with. Oh man, I'm kind of stressed out. So you start hanging out with these ladies that you shouldn't be hanging out with. Oh, well they're Christians. Did you know that doesn't mean anything anymore? I wish it did. I wish it did. But when you say you're a Christian, it used to mean something. But it doesn't mean anything anymore. You can say you're a Christian and still have bad character. You can say you're a Christian and still badmouth your husband. You can say you're a Christian and still badmouth the Lord. And bad, listen, it, you, can, you can say you're a Christian in name, but this is how the Bible says, this is how we actually know if you're a believer, is if you love one another. My, my gauge of being like Christ is if I love people? Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what the Bible says. The easiest way to look at relationships is just look what the Bible says. I know it's archaic, I know it's a little bit like old-fashioned, but the best way to handle relationships is just to look at the, what the Word of God says. I, I, I had to on purpose delete pages and pages of scriptures to fit in the time that we have allotted because I didn't want to like overwhelm you and keep you here all day. But I'm going to tell you, your Bible is chock full of ways that God instructs us in how we should love one another, and most of it, it looks like this, selflessness, forgiveness, serving others. Jesus didn't come. Do you know that, that context of that scripture where it says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing? That context of that scripture is in reference to your relationships. So one version says it like this. In your relationships, be like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, a servant, and came to serve. Do you know how your relationships could really thrive? Is you change your perspective from what are they doing for me, or this is how it usually works, what are they not doing for me? And you change your perspective of what can I do for them? 
That's the life of a believer. That's the character of a God lover. I love him, and by nature of loving him, I love his people. I, I love his people. The, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. Like, I'm the worst neighbor in the world. Like, I'm, like, I'm the neighbor that's like, open the garage, pull in the garage, shut the garage, wait till it hits the bottom of the concrete that's all the way closed. Now I can get out of my car and go into my house. That's the kind of neighbor I'm in. It's not, it's not good. I'm, this is a confession today. I need to be a better neighbor. I understand that. But I'm like, if I leave a crack, you know, the neighbor might like, hey, hello, Dustin. I'm like, no, wait till it shuts automatically, set the alarm, lock all the doors. Ah, now I can walk into my house. I'm being too honest today. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command. This is Jesus. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this is the kicker in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let me just ask like a real personal question, then we'll move on quickly like it never happened. If we scroll through your social media, would people know you're a disciple? Well, yes, because I, I'm an apologist. And I'm a, no, 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 no. No apologists by this, by that you love one another. They don't even believe Jesus is. Where, where is our measuring rod gone? Our measuring rod now is if you go to church, is if you say you're a Christian. James says, you show your faith by what you say, but I will show you my faith by what I do by what I do. Faith has to have action. It has, as a believer, our love has to have action. It has to look like something. That's how we know that you're saved. Is that you love the way you know I'm saved. Well, you're a pastor. That doesn't mean anything. I know pastors that I'm not sure are saved. The way you know I'm saved is because I love people. That's how you know. The way I know you're saved is because you love people. Love God, love people. These are the two greatest commandments. On, on them, everything else hangs. That's what the Bible teaches us. I think to, to really understand what a God-prescribed relationship is, we also have to know what it's not. And as we begin to wind down, I want to give you a couple of things that a God-prescribed God prescribed relationship will not be without. Because when we talk about this, we can get fired up and be like, let's go love people. God has people for us to, pu to push us into our purpose. Yes! But I'm going to tell you how that happens. And this is where maybe the commands of Jesus get a little more difficult. A God-prescribed relationship will not be without difficulty. And, and isn't the thought like, well, if God prescribed it, my goodness, it shouldn't have difficulty. It should just be easy. Anybody ever get like married and you thought like, man, we love each other. This is going to be so easy. I did. Maybe, maybe, I was, maybe I was naive, but I'm like, oh yeah, this is going like, to be like incredible. This is going to be easy. This is going to be like, I mean, we're always going to love the same things and want to do the same things at the same time, spend time the same amount, affirm each other the same amount, have sex the same amount. Where everything just lined up perfectly because it did when we were dating. You know, it's just like, 
She's working, jiving. And that's a loud amen. Uh, we got married, and the love was stronger than ever, but there was a presence of difficulty. And if you're not careful, you identify difficulty as a wrong relationship. But it is difficulty that actually brings something from you that would never ordinarily come from you if you wouldn't have gone through what you've gone. I'm a better person because I went through difficulty. My best friends, my best relationships, the person that I love the most, have we have been through difficult things together and we still love each other and we're still committed to each other and we still walk together and we still believe in one another. You gotta go through some difficulty. If you bail on every relationship when it gets difficult, you will never have a God-prescribed relationship because a God-prescribed relationship comes with some difficulty. But the difficulty is to make sure you become who you're supposed to become. That's, I see people all the time. It's like, oh, man, the relationship's getting a little stressful. I'm out. You're out? Already? Like, that, that fast? It's like, oh, too much drama, too much drama. I'm out. Did you ever think that you could be part of the drama? Did, did you ever think, Chad, I don't get this. Is, is it, when we look at relationships, a lot of times we're always, this is, this is, it's like our nature, our human nature, is we focus on how everyone else has failed us. Oh, you didn't do that, and you didn't do that, and you didn't do that, and you didn't do that. And we never, and we fail to bring to the table, hey, I actually forgot a couple things too. Hey, I probably judged you prematurely. Hey, I probably, but... When we have over-the-counter relationships and the presence of difficulty, we bail. But that difficulty could be the thing that defines you to walk into your destiny. I'm a better man today after 12 years of marriage. We love each other more than we've ever loved each other. But it doesn't mean that we, it, there has been an absence of difficulty. It's been difficult for her to live with me. You know what I'm saying? She just has her head down right now. You can't see him prospering with Alan, but she's just like, oh, sweet Jesus. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's, isn't that, that's a great scripture to like tweet. It's a great scripture to like Instagram, make look really cool. And you got like a blacksmith with iron. It's like, as iron It's a really hard scripture to live out. How does an iron sharpen another piece of iron? A lot of sparks, a lot of conflict, a lot of pain, a lot a lot of cutting, a lot. That's how it sharpens. You can't have the sharpening without the contact. You, you, you cannot have the sharpening without the contact. A God-prescribed relationship will not be without disagreement. Agreement is not a precursor to good friendship. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna quali to qualify this because some of you are like, oh, if we don't agree, unequally yoked. I, I get it. But you know what I see? Some people fail to love people because they disagree with them. Some of my best friends don't agree the same ways that I believe. So, so, some of my best friends disagree with me politically. Some of my best friends disagree with me theologically. But it doesn't mean that I can have less love for them because we don't value everything the same way. There might be at times levels of friendship that you allow yourself to with people that disagree on certain key things. But I'm going to tell you this, the disagreement is never 
it never qualifies us to not love. Will not be without disagreement. I, I thought, talking about marriage, I, I thought when we had a disagreement, like, it, we're not okay. Like, if, she, if Jamie thought something different than I did, I'm like, we will, we will not be okay until you agree with me. You know, that's how, that's how it goes. I, it wouldn't be that I would agree with her. It's like, until you agree with me, we are not okay. There is not unity in this house. Lord, Pastor Steve, help us. She agrees. She disagrees with me on something. There, there can be disagreement and still be unity. There are some mountains to die on and some mountains you should not talk about. There are some mountains that you should value and there are some things that you should let pass. For me, I thought if any disagreement, then we had division. House divided is against itself, cannot stand. We're in trouble. No, there can be some sort of disagreement as you sharpen one another. You, you're a different person than that friend you have. You're a different person than that husband or wife that you have, and you have different thoughts. And the thing you're thinking, I guarantee you, is not the thing they're thinking. And the thing they're thinking, I guarantee you, is not the thing you're thinking, because we speak different languages as humans. And to have good relationships, you have to learn the language of the other person. And it's not universal. It is not just men and women. It is specific to the person. In the past, people have taught, well, yeah, women speak this way and men speak this way. Well, what if you get a woman that doesn't speak that way? Well, what if you get a man that doesn't? No, it's specific to the person. God created it this way so that you have to actually be in tune with people. Instead of just broad stroking, this is how I treat my relationships, I actually have to get down in the dirt and understand why you say what you say and what you mean when you say it. God-prescribed relationships will not be without disappointment. They won't be without disappointment. If you're in relationship with people, then at some point, they will let you down. If you go into a relationship and you expect people to never disappoint you, you are only setting yourself up to be hurt. And I'm not saying that you go in saying, oh yeah, I just know, I know you're gonna, I know, I know you're gonna disappoint me. I'm not saying about a posture believing that they will disappoint you, but it's understanding that anybody that I come into relationship with will have frailties. That they will have times where they're not totally in control of their emotions. They'll have times where they don't feel great. They'll have times when they don't make the right decisions. I'm so glad, speaking of marriage relationships, I'm so glad that I have a wife that didn't judge me by my frailties. Right, like if, if, if we always judge people by the, the ways that they disappointed us, we would have zero friends. We'd have, everybody's disappointed people. It's, 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 it's challenging being a pastor sometimes because, because you're in front of people and you get to hear all the ways that, that you disappoint people. But what's difficult is you never get to flip the script and be like, you actually disappointed me. <laughs> like I, that actually hurt my feelings. I actually had a bad day. Like you don't, you don't get to do that. But that's all right. To, to have God-prescribed relationships, you have to understand that it goes both ways. It goes both ways, and people will disappoint us, and it's okay. You can overlook a disappointment. You can walk through a disappointment. You can give grace to a disappointment. If I expect you to be perfect, there's only a matter of time before our relationship has to break because you will disappoint me. But if I understand that you're human and we're both doing the best that we can and we love Jesus and we love each other, then let's run after him together and we can, we can, we can actually have grace for one another in this journey. 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus, and he asked the Lord, How many times should I forgive my brother or sister? And it's classic, this is Peter, right? Like Peter's like, oh, I got a good one. I got a good one. Oh, hey, um, Rabbi, how many times do you presume I should forgive my brother? Maybe seven? In Peter's mind, he was thinking like, got him. Like, no way, no way Jesus is going to ask for more than seven. I mean, it's like, Peter went to like the biggest number he could imagine. Like, seven. Drop a mic. And Jesus probably is like shaking his head. Peter, 70 times seven. Peter's like, oh, 70. That's right. You can't even add it up. So don't even worry about it. That means you just forgive. You forgive. Forgiveness is a posture. People think it's incidental. It's not. It is a way that you live your life. You might have to forgive an instance or forgive a person, but you have to make a decision as a believer that I will walk in forgiveness. How many times, God? How many times should I forgive? There is not an amount. There is not a number. People deserve your forgiveness. They don't deserve my forgiveness. No, they deserve it. You know why? Because God forgave us. And he says the same way that he forgave us is how we should forgive one another. And I see people walking with unforgiveness in their heart and it's only hindering their own destiny. But God forgave us. He looked over our sin. He looked over our mistakes. He looked over our frailties. And he says in the same way, you should forgive each other. Well, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'll ever forgive him. The only thing you're doing is hindering your own development. We've, we've, we've done entire messages on forgiveness before, but what's interesting to me about forgiveness is people always think when you have unforgiveness, you're getting them. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to give it to them. I'm not going to give it to them. Nope, nope, I'm not going to. Oh, man, I got, ooh, uh, I want them to suffer. They don't even know. So the only person suffering is you. That, it's, it's it. It's, it's your suffering. You're bitter. You're broken down. You're discouraged. You can't walk by him in the grocery store. You can't see. It, it's, it's us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 in the message says this. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. So what is the wardrobe? What are the clothes God has picked out for us? Just put on, make sure you put on a coat of compassion. Throw on some kindness. Put on humility. Put on some quiet strength, some discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly as quickly. As quick. You ever heard people say, I'm just working on forgiving. He says, forgive as quickly and, and as completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, make sure. It's like your, your spiritual underwear, all right? It's like, if you're not going to wear anything else, make sure you put on love. It's your basic all-purpose fruit-of-the-loom garment. Never be without it. I won't see any Christians going without. You know what I'm saying? Like, you make sure you put your drawers on. You put your love on, throw some suspenders on with it just to make sure they don't drop off. Whatever you do, 
make sure you got some love. Make sure you've clothed. What could we do as a church? What could we do as a community that says, you don't have to mark us by our mission statement. You don't have to mark us by our church attendance. You can mark us by your love. I don't mind being hated because we love people too much. I don't mind being criticized because we gave too many people another chance. I believe in the grace of God that he extended to me. And as an, as an extension of God's grace, I feel like we should extend it. To other people. I'm about to close, but I want to give you something. There's a couple of things in our family that we believe. And I just wrote these out yesterday. I thought, you know what? That, we, we, I probably need to like print them out somewhere just so I have them. But this was just off the top of my head. This is what we believe as a family. In our family, we believe the best about people. That's just what we do. We tell our boys. We tell each other. We believe the best about people. In our family, we forgive over and over. Not once, over and over. We forgive. In our family, we give people another chance. We give people, that, there is nobody that is outside the grace of God. In our family, we give people another chance. In our family, we love even when others don't. Other people's love is not our condition to love. We love even when others don't. In our family, we have a short memory. We got a short memory. We forget. We are, for, we are a forgetful family. That means we forget what people did last year. Oh, man, that tweet, that post, I, I don't even remember. That meeting, I don't even remember. Pastor, you know what I told you I did? Nope, I don't even remember. I don't remember. I forget about it. I got a short memory. So it's the way it, it, it is necessary if you're going to love well is you have to have a short memory. In our family, we do what we have the power to do, which means if we can help people, we help people. We don't, we don't have condition like, oh, well, no, no. If we got the power to do it, we do it. If we have the power to give it, we give it. If we have the power to meet the need, we meet the need. In our family, this is what we tell the boys every single night before they go to bed. In our family, we do the right thing, and my, my boys were in this service, they would tell you, even when it's hard. In our family, we do the right thing, even when it's hard, which means it's not when I decide it's the right thing or not. It's the right thing even if I believe it or not or feel it or not. If the word says it's right to do, then we do it even if it's hard. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul speaking at the end of his life, his letter to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. He's building the church. He's writing the Bible. And he says, you are my glory and my joy. You know what? You need people in your life that you can say you're my glory and my joy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to always do the right thing. It's, it's, it's okay if you disappoint me because I know that comes with a God-prescribed relationship, but God's working in me to cre be, be developed into someone and something so I can trust the process and I can trust if God brought you into my life, then God has a purpose for you in my life. So I'm going to walk through it and I'm going to love you like Jesus loves you. I'm going to forgive you like Jesus forgave you. I'm telling you more than ever before, we've got to lean into relationships. We've got to lean into community. We've got to 
get ourselves in groups and we've got to get ourselves in circles of friends that love Jesus and love marriage and love parenting and love the Lord and love what we do. You've got to find people that will help you burn for Jesus and invest in them, be committed to them. A God-prescribed relationship will require your attention. It will be a custom fit. It will heal your life, and it will be worth it. It'll cost you something. It'll, every relationship that means something in my life, I've had to fight for. But it's always worth it. It's worth it. I want to be able to say like Paul said, you're my glory and my crown. Who? Oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. I look at our staff sometimes, and I'm like, you're my glory and my crown. You're, you're what brings me joy. See Val and how God's changed your life. Cameron, how God's changed his life. Brittany, how God changed your life. And all across the other camp. And Ben and how God's changed his life. And all of these people and all I can. That's my glory, my crown. That's, that's what loving people does. And for all of us, I want to challenge us to lean into people like we never have. Not lean in to not be hurt, but I'll lean in. I might take some licks. I might take some pain, but I want my glory and my crown to be what Paul's is. That it's, it's, it's us. It's people. God prescribed relationships so that we can accomplish the purpose that he has given to us. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.